At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to Knife Talk. Just the two of us again this evening. Um, today it's myself and Moreco, Moreco Marmassi of Marmassi Fire Arts, and myself, Craig Locker of Chop Knives. Because our esteemed colleague, Jeffrey, is probably on a plane at the moment. He's playing um, hooky. Yes, it, again, yes. No, it looks as if he's had a great weekend, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It's actually kind yeah. of painful to watch sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't know, Jeff, who is normally with us every week, uh, Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, he's been in Spain with um, Toma from Florentine Kitchen Knives um, running a course there. And um, his Instagram, he's just been showing the food that they've been cooking and these amazing knives they've been making. Making me very jealous. So, Jeff, if you're on a plane and you're listening now, because I'd imagine you'd be listening on the plane because... You know, number one fan and all that. Um, it, yeah, if it goes down, kiss your ass goodbye, basically. Um, hold tight if it gets bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, one of, one of the craziest flights I ever had, I was sitting next to this giant human being. The guy was probably at least six foot eight, and he was an oh, older geez. guy. Yeah. And um, I can't remember where I was going exactly. It might have been one of the first times I was going down to Blade Show, actually. Hmm. And um, they were going through, you know, in case of emergency, you know, <laughs> buckle your seatbelts and all that shit. And, you know, if, you know, cabin pressure changes, they'll drop down the oxygen bag and make sure to, you know, take care of yourself first before you help somebody else. And as they're going through all of this, he leans over and and he's like, you know, if any of that happens, we're fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We all think it, but telling a stranger is another thing. <laughs> yeah. When I was like, I just started laughing. I was like, I think you're lucky that you're saying that to me, but because I take that in consideration every time I take a flight, like this could be the one, yeah. this could oh, be yeah. the last flight. Who fucking knows? <laughs> but yeah, I think anybody else, a lot of other people, most people would probably get extremely nervous and i just laugh exactly yeah yeah so jeff if you are on a plane listening um i'm sure i'm sure it'll be fine i mean statistically yeah it'll be fine statistically yeah it's one of the <laughs> safest forms what is always that one isn't it right <laughs> oh geez anyway Morocco, how how has your week been uh the week's been good uh i had a friend come into the shop uh 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 Karing Rakunin. Uh, he mm. lives locally. He's actually one of my Patreon sponsors. 
and members. And he has a background in video. And so he came down and he hung oh, out cool. in the shop and he took some video. And, and mostly, uh, I really appreciate his patience, but mostly he was just kind of like a human tripod. <laughs> hmm. uh, but he did also do a good job of helping kind of like bounce questions off of me and, and make some other maybe short form content. But I've been trying to get video of me forging an integral knife start to finish for mm. a long time like a couple of years i've been trying to get the footage on my own and i get about halfway through and i'm so caught up with the forging that i forget about the camera and then i'm mm, at yeah. basically the end of the forging and tuning everything up i'm like sweet looks great and i'm like fuck i forgot the camera <laughs> and i <laughs> yeah, missed yeah. like the whole last and i've literally i've tried it like four or five times um, and I finally, the last time it happened, which was only a couple months ago, I was like, I need to get somebody else in here. So, um, I started talking to Kari about coming in and being in the shop with me while I was working and, and doing that. And it was great. And we had a great conversation. We got along great. Uh, we went for delicious Vietnamese lunch afterwards. Um, Ooh, yeah, nice. giant short, he got the short rib pho and it was just Ooh. like this giant chunk of beautifully roasted short rib, like <laughs> braised short rib oh, in his geez. pho, in his pho cup. And, uh. <laughs> Yeah, it was delicious. It was a great nice. So is this video for any sort of longer form content or is it just for your socials? What, what's yeah, some purpose? of it's going to be for socials. Some of it is going to be for longer form, kind of more instructional stuff that I've been trying to work on getting put together for my Patreon. Um, I, I used to like play with the idea of it, having all these kind of standalone instructional videos that could be purchased and can kind of be evergreen as people evolve or, you know, evolve through their uh, techniques and skills. And there's always going to be new makers and stuff like that. Um, but having them available to purchase on my website, but to do all that and have somewhere, a website that's set up to host all that kind of footage and, you know, depending on the amount of hours and, uh, that things it's get streamed. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of, and I was like, you know what? I think doing this through Patreon might be <laughs> the easiest way. That way, it's just <laughs> there, and you pay for a subscription to the Patreon, and you have access to that stuff. Do uh, they host the video there too, or is it, it going to be like a YouTube link from there or something? Yeah, so they don't host there, but they they have um, they integrate very easily, uh, and and so I have a what is it like a subscription through Vimeo. Um, okay. that's a bit yeah. more secure yeah. than like YouTube. And that way it's available on the Patreon through Vimeo. But, uh, you know, the, gotcha. you, like you, you only have it there. But... You can't just like copy yeah. the link and then share it wherever, you know, gotcha. kind of that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So when are people likely to be able to see any of this, this video, do you think? Uh, well, in the middle of August, I'm going to be, uh, traveling. I'm going back to the lake house on the, on the island, the oh, island lake house. Nice. And, uh, we're going to be there for a that week. That sounds so cool. I'm going, I'm going back to the lake house. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it'll be fun. And my sister's actually going to be joining. She'll be up from, uh, New Orleans with her partner, Royal. And, um, but that's when I'm going to have time to, cause I'm, I, there's no shop. So I'll have mm. a bit of downtime to kind of, um, work on some of that video editing and stuff like that. Um, and I'll still be able to record. So I, I won't disappear yeah. again. <laughs> cool. Okay. No, that's all good. But, it's all good. Yeah. But outside of that, I just been, uh, I'm working actually on a pair of knives right now. They're kind of a matching set. They're made from a new mosaic Damascus pattern. Um, one is a giant slicer. It's like 11 and a half inches or something like that. Oh, wow. And then uh, the other is a, a nine inch 
or sorry, eight and three quarter. I think about two hundred and forty millimeter uh, chef's mm. knife, European style chef's nice. knife. And um, yeah, I just finished the finish grinding, which is always kind of to me that's like this signifier of the halfway point. Um, mm, yeah, and then now it's time for handle assembly and sculpting and da 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 da. So cool. Yeah, sounds like fun. Yeah, how's sounds you, like fun. How's your week been? Have you been melting your ass off? It's been, yeah, it's been hot again. So, sort of getting used to it now. Um, but yeah, it's been hot. So v- again, very little time in the shop. Um, so I've been working on some, some kitchen knives with, um, Juma handles. You know, oh, right. That, yeah, um, yeah. That synthetic. It's almost like, it's almost like a snake skin. Look, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like dragon skin. I love that. Exactly. Yeah, dragon, dragon skin. skin that's better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so that's quite nice. So, um, Monday, Tuesday, I shall be sort of shaping that and polishing that and, and just seeing how they come up. So I'm looking, sure. looking forward to that. Um, but we had a bit of a crisis talk, my wife and I, uh, today because, oh. um, no, all good. Okay. <laughs> this isn't any sort of relationship we're splitting up. Kind of thing. <laughs> okay. I got a little worried there for a second. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so basically she's been on maternity leave for, uh, months now. Sure. And in, I think end of September or beginning of September rather, um, she goes back to work. Okay. Um, and I've basically I've been on maternity leave too, you know? Right. Um, so come September, I need to be full time again. And we're thinking, we've moved into this house. We haven't finished a space for either of us to work yet. Okay. <laughs> so it's our work that obviously pays for the house. And it's like, we're ridiculous. We haven't got anywhere to work properly. Um, so, you know, my, my, my sort of workshop is workable, but it's not how I want it. And, yeah. you know, she'll be working from a kitchen table, which isn't ideal. And we're like, what could we do about that? What's, you know, and we thought, we were just looking online and we found uh, a, like an airport hangar like 10 minutes down the road from us an old oh my god really and we're like this would be like the most awesome sort of like uh, i wouldn't say play area but you know our adult sort of yeah she'd have her office there i'd have my workshop i could have a rehearsal space for the band it's huge it it could all just be everything set up ready to go at all times i see so you're wanting to put the knife shop there too exactly yes okay and it's sort of 10 minutes down the road so we're like (gasps) 10 minutes down the road is perfect yeah so we made an inquiry (laughs) and um this evening now we've been thinking we've been thinking okay it's away from the house which is good um hopefully buddy will will have some sort of uh daycare as well so we can both go there work full time then we're like oh we'll be in the same building all day every day and come home and be with each other all day, every day. <laughs> is that a good thing? And we're like, yeah, it'll be, we'll be in separate areas. So there's all these things that we're, we're trying to weigh up. Is that a good idea? Or do we get something like a, finish my workshop here and get an office built in the garden for my wife? Mm-hmm. Or So we've got all these options. It's just like, oh, man, it's, it's daunting, you know, because it's obviously a lot of expense. You don't want to make the wrong decision. Right. But I love the idea of this big sort of lockup that we can just lock up. Everything can be there. And yeah, we're away from the house, and it's where we go to work nine to five. Done. So who knows? It, that that could be happening. I, I, yeah, it'd be nice to think it would. Anyway, yeah, who knows? That separation is nice. I, I f- I've found. Um, yeah, because yeah, I I think a lot of you know for a lot of folks who make knives, especially if you're a hobbyist, you're just doing it out of your garage or something like that. Mm. And the extra expense of having a separate place is definitely something to take into consideration and maybe that's not necessarily uh, an option for folks um i'm lucky that i have 
a separate space, I feel like, because it is nice to have kind of like that separation. And Jeff has talked about this too, where, where he used to have his shop at his house. Um, but mm. it's close enough. It's separate now, but it's also still close enough that if you need to run over to the shop real quick, it's only, you know, five, 10 minutes down the road. For me, it's, which is, yeah, yeah, which is handy. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, with no traffic or, or mild traffic, it's, you know, 12, 15 minutes down the road for me. And so if mm. I need to run back to the shop for anything, it's not a, a big kick in the pants, but, um, yeah, but well, it's I've nice to worked. just have that space. Yeah, my space has always been, I mean, in, before we moved here in, in the previous house, um, it was actually in the house. We had a shop front there and that we converted right. that to a workshop. Right. Um, where I am now, it's in the barn, which is attached to the house. So even though it's not in the house this time, it's still close enough for me to be able to hear a baby crying and going, oh, no, I need to go back. And, you know, all right. these things. Yeah. So, yeah, so th- there's going to be some sort of upheaval. We haven't decided which yet, but... Um, but I, li- I do like the idea of having this big space because we're always into new... S- my, my wife and I, we're terrible for new hobbies and things like that. And like she's like, I'd love to try, you know, turning, doing some pottery. And it's like, oh, oh we'd cool. have space for that. Yeah. And we'd, you know, there's all this different stuff. So, we, you know, we'd, we'd be basically just like a big makery. We could just you're, go there and make gonna stuff. You're just going to turn it into a bar and you're just going to start sh- hosting <laughs> shows and performances there. You're going to have a comedy <laughs> she night. Did say, she did say there's music. no way you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I do like the idea as well. I mean, talking about that, I mean, we, we would have everything set up for rehearsals for the band as well. So we could just walk in, rehearse. Yeah. And even if I just wanted to practice at the moment, if I, need, if I want to practice, it's setting everything. It's, you know, it's an hour setting everything up just oh, to wow. do a simple practice. Sure. So being able to do that would be so cool. But um, yeah, my workshop would be there, which would be the main thing. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? Over the next few days, we're going to have discussions and, mm. um, you know, I'm sure we'll get prices back and then discover there's no way in the world we can do it. But um it's it's a pipe dream at the moment. Yeah. What size? What's the airplane hangar size? Um, I think it is. Let me let me find out. I'm ready for some conversions. I'll do some conversions from. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's like 300 square meters. Something like that. It's huge. It's 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 massive. I gotcha. Um, did you send it to me? No, I don't have it here. I th- I think it's like 350 square meters, something like that. Okay, but um, like, which is but like le- le- like what are some length and width roughly? Um, is that do, 15 do, by 15? Three f- fifth. I don't know. I don't know to be honest with you. I don't know. Don't know. I thought she'd sent me the details. I don't have it here. No. I tell you what. I'm going to text her now. She's upstairs <laughs> and she can send me the details. Send me the details of the hangar. There we go. Okay, and in the meantime, we shall hear from our sponsors. <laughs> Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. And you know what I'm going to say. Don't go to Even Heat. Go to knifetalk.net forward slash heat, um, because that will take you to Soul Ceramics, who are a, a, an official distributor of Even Heat, um, and we'll get you a discount so that you'll have $75 off and free shipping in the U.S. Um, but also, they've got some built, already specced out, ready to go on the shelf. So, yeah, knifetalk.net forward slash heat, and I'll put that descri- down in the descri- that link down in the description. Um, and, yeah, you can get one. You can get one within a week. How cool is that? I, all right, so I just did some rough math. Uh, yep. So if it is 15 meters by 20 meters, which is roughly, roughly 50 by 65 feet, that mm. is well over 3,000. That's 3,250 square feet. Uh, that is, yeah, that's a good amount of space. That's nice. How hot, yeah. how tall is it? No, it is huge. 
Um, more than big enough to have like uh, a huge mezzanine and still have you know cool. lots of space. Oh man! Um, yeah. Oh wait, there, I've got it here. I've got it here. Cool. Let's have it. Let me open it up. Come on! I love this dead oh, air. Beautiful. <laughs> I know, I know. It's me getting excited about an airport hangar. <laughs> Who would have yeah. thought? Um, right, we'll come back to this. I'm trying to open it up. <laughs> so, shall we do some questions? Yeah, is is this going to be a blaze through questions episode since Jeff isn't here? We've, tough scenario. We've got a bunch. Business. Yeah, we do have a bunch. So, yeah, yeah let, let's, let's, just, just, let's just see how we go. Um, the first is from George in California, um, and I believe his Instagram handle is Will Klein. Um, which is strange if his name's George, but hey. Um, and he's contacted us via Instagram. Um, we are Knife Talk Podcast. If you don't know, um, DM us your questions, and we try our best um, for every morning, every Monday morning, sorry, to answer your questions. Okay. Hey, guys. Thanks for doing the show. It makes Monday mornings go by a little faster. I recently saw on Instagram a reel of someone cleaning a carbide toothed wood carving angle grinder attachment by burning off the sawdust resin buildup with a... Uh, a torch. Uh, I don't know what burns a matic. Burns a matic torch. Yeah. Okay. Um, after I told them I thought it was a bad idea, they directed me to the manufacturer's website showing how to burn the residue to a hard char before wire brushing off. Besides letting people make their own mistakes, I thought it was inappropriate for a manufacturer to tell people to take a torch to a hardened steel tool that's going to spin at a couple of thousand RPM. I'm just wondering what insight you may have on this. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, Wow, so the manufacturers are, are given instructions to do that, um, to set a torch to um, to, to, to yeah to a steel wheel. Yeah, really. I, I would be concerned, obviously, about the uh, you know how hot of a temperature. But if if you could maybe bake it and make that resin more brittle, because it sounds like the goal is to make the bre- whatever buildup uh, on the carbide teeth brittle, so that they're easier to clean off. Um, it might be easier to do that in like an oven and just bake it at like mm. 350 degrees or something like that. But yeah, to do it with a torch sounds a little bit sketchy because it's, it's so easy to overshoot temperatures. Right. Great. Yeah. Well, it just, yeah, it just sounds dangerous as hell. Dangerous. as hell. I've got the dimensions of this. Hanger. Okay. He's back. It's, th- it's in meters as well. Okay. Um, 36 meters by 10 meters. 36. By so 10. what's that? 360 square meters. Let's see. So 36 meters, whoops, Jesus Christ, I know how to push numbers. 36 meters is 118 feet by how much? 36 meters by what? By 10, by 10 meters. 10 meters. And it's seven and a half meters tall, seven which is fucking huge. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a high <laughs> ceiling. Yeah, so that's yeah. 32 feet by whatever the 36 was again. 118, so just under um, 120. And uh, yeah, that's pretty damn massive. Yeah. So yeah, so there's plenty we could do in it, but yeah, I shall keep everybody posted on the on the hangar situation. <laughs> um, but what's a, a Boone's Amatic torch? What, is that is that a brand it's name just, or something? Yeah, it's just Boone's a brand name. It's a handheld right. propane torch, but the Burns Amatic oh, okay. is specifically like the the sparking and starting system, and then you can also have it has kind of like an adjust. You can adjust the propane feed uh, to a mm. bigger torch or or a tip or a smaller torch tip. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I've seen people do crazy things with angle grinders, and this is, this is probably up there with them, I suppose. But uh, but yeah. Yeah. Do you want to take the next yeah. one? Yeah. I just was doing the math in feet, so that's just under four thousand square feet. 
Uh, oh wow, which is a very nice, very nice size. Yeah, you guys could definitely be on opposite ends and have plenty of space. Yeah, and yeah, and we could have a bar. And you can, of course, you got to have the bar. But the bar is in the middle. That's where everybody meets. You meet in the middle. Yes, exactly. That could be that. We. I'll meet you for lunch. I could. T- I could say there yes, exactly. There we go. All right. Uh, this next one is from. Oh Jesus! I'm going to mess this up. Uh, Narn McFun. I almost said fondle. A uh, fondled. <laughs> Ronald McDonald, I think. Ronald McDonald. Uh, <laughs> Naren McFonald, I think it is. Yeah. Naren McFonald. Okay, question. I've got an LB22 from Even Heat, and it's probably a bit too big. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I've, I'd rather have the space and not always need it uh, than to need it and not have the space. I was wondering if it's possible to leave a soft brick or two in the back of the oven so that they create a thermal mass uh, for when I'm using the oven to thermal cycle knives, oh, Jesus, thermal cycle knives that are mostly 12 to 14 inches total. It seems to take quite a bit of time to recover the heat loss uh, when I'm opening and closing the door as quick as possible. But I'm usually doing five to six knives, so I got to open and close five to six times. Uh, so mm. it sounds like he's working in batches and he's struggling with the heat loss um every time he's opening the door for you know five to six knives do you think it makes sense to throw a couple bricks in the back excuse me in the back for um, yeah i mean it's it's not gonna do any harm is it not gonna do any harm i mean because that that lb22 yeah is super long isn't it so he's got all this space at the back um and that's obviously just full of air so when a door opens it's you know yeah i i stick a few bricks in there it's certainly not gonna do any harm yeah and give the guys the ring at, at even heat um you know they give you some advice you may even to get some nice matching bricks so you don't have that horrible you know dismatch of color if that bothers you <laughs> if it would bother me if it, if it bothers look you at too. those um, ugly bricks they don't even match <laughs> <laughs> the original even heat bricks um but, but yeah i can't see any harm in it I, I, I think it's probably gonna do a good thing for you um but yeah if unsure that the guys that even heat are great, honestly. For sure. Give them a call, and um, and they could they could they could help you out and talk you through it. But um, yeah, it sounds like a good idea to me. You're taking less air out of it, and, and it's obviously the air that's cooling, right? Um, and you're having this this big, big extra th- you know thermal mass, which is going to hold heat. So yeah, it sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good idea to me too. Especially if you have you know your blades are a maximum of around 14 inches, then that means mm-hmm. you got like an extra eight inches at the back of the. F- of the forge or the kiln that is yeah. just dead space. Um, so yeah, why not? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, think, I mean, it's not going to be dangerous. Nothing, nothing bad can happen. I don't think right. so. You should be good for sure. As long as you are using good fire bricks and not just like normal. Yeah. Don't, don't just use, use fire, but place bricks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I think the heat loss from opening the door, it's just, it's just part of it. You just gotta mm. account for that. Um, yeah, and I always, I always think with that as well. I because the knives have got a mass themselves. So let's say you got you see you're doing five or six knives. So let's say you know you you got three knives left in there. Those knives are holding a mass themselves, mm-hmm. and the temperature reading that you're seeing is from the thermocouple, which is at the top there. Um, so that thermocouple that may be losing the heat, but obviously the, the all the bricks around it and stuff, and in the other naturally anyway, for sure, are going to hold more heat. So I wouldn't necessarily that the knives are dropping in temperature, uh, just the thermocouple, which is probably going to be the first thing that's going to drop drop temperature anyway. So I, I wouldn't worry too much. Yeah. Okay. Um, another word from one of our sponsors. 
Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! Do it now, indeed. And if you're in Canada, um, we can also uh, you can also get your combat abrasives um, from MaritimeKnifeSupply.com because they are distributors of combat abrasives too. So just because you're in Canada, don't think you're not getting all the deals that they get in the US. Head on over to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. They've got deals if you buy 10 or more belts, that kind of thing. Um, and they've got loads of stuff. They're a one-stop shop for knife makers with steel, belts, handle materials, tools, like everything you need. Go take a look. They're also Maritime Knife Supply on instagram lawrence is a good dude so go, go take a look at what nice. they got i'm actually i'm super thankful i got those ceramic shredders from combat because i just got a chunk i got a chunk of the uh, the new apex ultra and i forged an integral blade out of it and um they're gonna really come in handy uh mm. in grinding that steel because i think it's going to be uh relatively wear resistant and i know that it makes a difference uh using those belts versus uh, other belts I, I just like in my experience with like high wear resistant steels like uh, w2 and crew forge v um those extra carbide forming elements make that steel so much more wear resistant and that those shredders really just tear through the material um mm. but shout out to well, laren thomas and uh mark goldman and uh and tobias hangler for making this killer steel so far it's it was challenging to forge but not much more challenging than 50 to 100, and I'm excited to see how it heat treats and grinds afterwards. So, so what's the deal with this Apex steel? Is it what's well, how is it different from a 50 to 100, for example? Yeah, so they it's so there there aren't really a lot, or I guess I guess more so nowadays. There are um, steels that are specifically manufactured for uh, for knives, um, and and these guys were wanting to create a steel that is um and i wish what laren was on here to better describe it but anyways um wanting to create a, a steel for forgers that had takes a higher hardness but also has a higher toughness um hmm. and some of that is just in the type of carbides that are formed and the size of the grain and so also trying to add elements that help restrict grain growth um and i th- think they were getting uh laren was getting on his knife steel nerds um blog he talks about getting the highest toughness that he's ever achieved um from a super high hardness like 66 to 68 rockwell um blade and so the goal is especially for uh knives that aren't hard use like a chef's knife like that's Mm. great to be able to have a higher hardness because that just means the blade's going to hold uh the the edge better and because the um because of the particular carbide forming elements they have in the steel carbides are going to be much smaller the grains are going to be much tighter and smaller and so that lends to also better toughness at the higher hardness um so you can basically just create a higher performance uh high carbon steel blade um Mm. so i am i'm excited to uh like i said put it through the rest of the uh, heat treating and finish grinding so i can then basically just beat the shit out of it and see what happens so i'll I'll probably have about a solid you know six to eight hours in this thing and then i'm basically going to destroy it and see what happens oh wow okay you know we need to get lauren back on again because um last time we did we had so many questions specifically for him oh for sure um so i think yeah it'd be a good idea and yeah the second best doctor we've ever had on the show <laughs> after after dr chris <laughs> and his tits <laughs> uh what have we got here uh carl handcock 
um, says, um, where are some characteristics of ideal customers? How much involvement do you like from customers? And when does this start to be too much? Um, I'm a non-bladesmith that likes to support makers. Um, some seem to want lots of details, um, some of which I don't quite even understand. And others just want you to trust them to make a good product. <clears throat> Any insights would be appreciated. I enjoy the show. So Carl's not a maker. Um, um, he just likes to support makers, and, and obviously he's a, he's a fan of knives. Thank you for so, your support, yeah. Carl. Yes. What is the ideal customer? Is it somebody who comes to you with a full idea of what they want? Um, is it somebody who comes to you saying, you know, you know, what could you make me? And you've got to describe everything to them. What, what's, for you, what would be your ideal customer? America? I mean, I think the biggest challenges I've had with customers are people coming to me to make stuff that I just don't make. And I think that is one of the, the struggles for makers when people reach out to them and saying, I want something built is they think that we all have the same set of skills when we all have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, I think being aware of what that maker actually does is really important and will also help you make a better informed decision as to who you either work with or what you get from that particular maker. Um, but other than that, I think also just like from maker to maker, it's going to vary, you know, how much input they want um, versus how much they don't want. And that also depends on their business model. Maybe their business models, they don't take custom orders and you just get what you get. Uh, or they have a very specific regiment of knives that they are opening orders to. But again, you're not, you know, really doing a lot of customer feedback uh, about what specific, um, handle material or bevel grind or any kind of that stuff or accenting materials. You're just, you know, um, versus there are people who, and the way I used to do things is I would give people, uh, the full reign of, you know, the blade length and the heel height and the Damascus pattern pattern and what kind of grind and handle material and the handle style and all that stuff. And I honestly feel like that is some, that is a thing that some people, uh, really excel at and are capable of doing very comfortably. I did it for a long time, but it took me a long time to realize that that is not where my strengths lie. Uh, hmm. and I struggle with it a lot. Um, because you know, just little like mistakes and stuff happen. And it, but for me, yeah. it was constantly setting me back and that extra pressure that was, um, resulting from that was too much. And so I, it, that's why I changed things, but I think it's just going to vary from person to person hmm. what they're, yeah. To do. I, I still get a lot of inquiries asking me to make something specific and, you know, could you forge this? And then it's just like they, they clearly haven't seen the, my style of work, you know, like you like you said, you know, know the maker if you're contacting them right. to, you know, have, have something specific, you know that that's the kind of thing that they do. Um, because, yeah, I, I'd probably say 25, 35 percent of the inquiries that come my way are just not the style that I, I, I've ever done and would would do, you know. So, sure. so yeah, but um when most, I mean, still most of my customers are sort of restaurants, and what I tend to do with them is, um, I give them like a three D model of of what it'll be, showing the handle material, the exact shape, size, and things like that. So they they can visualize it completely, and and I've I've got a, a system set up so I can I can make one of them within sort of ten minutes because I've got templates and I can just bang in you know the handle materials and so on. It'll make them really quickly, um, and I find that really great for the customers to know exactly what they're having. Um, how it's going to look and you know if they want any any suggestions we can change that really quickly and again they've got this uh, this 3d render again mm -hmm. so they can see it um it tends to work really well um but obviously if you're just doing one-offs 
that's you know it's a lot of time involved in that um so that probably wouldn't work so much but um yeah from customer point of view i think if you're reaching out to a maker <clears throat> at least know you know their style and you know have a reason for contacting that person um because if not i it if you just contact a maker and say, could you make this specifically for me? I get the feeling they're probably contacting a bunch of makers and seeing what prices are Sure, they're just blanketing. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, and you can tell with some emails they come in, you know exactly what they're doing. It's just like, ah, oh, this is not going to work right. so well. But, uh, yeah. All right. We got another okay. one here from Benjamin Coffin. Oh, wait, that's Benjamin <laughs> Coffin. Uh, he says, I just made my first Damascus blade, wrapped it in blue painter's tape to finish the handle, took the tape off, and noticed... Uh, and notice tape residue. Uh, took a big fat fingernail to get it off. Um, and then it fucked up the coffee edge contrast. Um, went from black to gray. What could I have done or not done? Thanks for any advice. Um, I'll, I'll start that one off. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it sounds like he just threw tape straight onto the blade. Um, something that is. Uh, a common practice like you can go you can buy shrink wrap like in short rolls uh of maybe like four inches wide or six inches wide um or even just saran wrap you know from for your kitchen and but putting something on or even a paper towel honestly um for protecting the blade and then cut and then wrapping up the blade after that um is is a pretty common move for folks um if you're trying to like when I'm I used to do a lot more buffing work and when I was trying to buff kind of the transition from the wood to the Damascus and I didn't want the Damascus to get buffed on I would use painter's tape but I would also put just a little bit of wax around um, that area where the painter's tape was going to go on at that transition and that would one, it would get buffed off from the buffer, so I wasn't too worried about it. But it would also make it so that the painter's tape would come off a little bit easier without adhering to any of the surface finish and, and mm. potentially peel it out. Because I have done that. I've seen that happen, and it is frustrating. Um, but, yeah, using some sort of shrink wrap or paper towel or even – I actually – I don't use painter's tape as much anymore. I use um, – usually I'm using uh, electrical tape. Uh, and I find that I have less issues with electrical tape on my Damascus rather than the painter's tape. Mm. Uh, because even though painter's tape is designed to easily come off, it, it is still quite tacky. Um, and so, yeah, that, those have been my, my moves, my go-to moves mm. for stuff like that. There you go. Can't beat that. Okay. Um, J Mod Knives. Um, okay, I've got a dilemma. He says, right now I'm in Arizona. My shop is anywhere between 115 and 130 degrees at all times. Holy I've just done a quick conversion. That's 54 degrees Celsius. Yowza. Fuck. That is oof, ridiculous. And I thought we were getting hot at 40 degrees. Right. Jesus Christ. Um, he said, I'd get up before the sun came out around 3 or 4 when it's nicest out, um, but that would disrupt my lady's schedule, um, as the anvil is about 15 feet away from the bedroom window. Um, I've been dunking shirts in a cooler full of ice and draping it over me to keep cool. Wow. Um, but, I'm, but I'm thinking about getting some misters for the outside section of the shop because that's probably all I can afford at the moment. Yeah. But I'm afraid of it rusting out my tools because everything is really tight under this shade structure. Um, just lost on how to get anything done when battling this intense heat. Fuck, I feel for you. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that is hot. 
Um, yeah, and yeah, you can't do anything in the night because you're yeah, still 15 feet away from the bedroom window. Um, I mean, there's the old Australian trick of the um, of the silver spoon on the nuts, which we've <laughs> talked about in the past. <laughs> Maybe you could freeze a pair of underwear too. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, a mister. I mean, yeah, that's, if that's all of your tools and stuff, they're gonna they're gonna start rusting, particularly if it's like really humid and stuff as well, right. and you're sweating. There's salt everywhere. Oh man, um, I don't know what to suggest. I mean, sh- you know, cover up all the windows. Don't let any heat in in the first place. I sure. suppose is is, is 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 all you can do. Um, but oh man, I don't know. I feel for you. Yeah, I don't have a very good uh, air conditioning setup in my shop, and I think for most anybody, <laughs> they don't because usually it's just a large open space. If somehow you have a small area, though that is like maybe your office or even like if it's not far from the house, even just being able to step into the house into some sort of air conditioned space, I found really made a huge difference for me. I've never worked in that kind of heat, uh, but I've worked in high, like when I was in Connecticut at Dragon's Breath, uh, the shop would get extremely hot, like in easily into the nineties for, uh, you know, throughout the summer times from time to time. Mm. Uh, but the humidity there was also just, horrendous and i could be standing in the shop literally doing nothing talking or whatever with one of the other guys and be sweating my absolute ass off and it was not awesome um but we always had a tiny little like office space that was maybe like 200 square feet that we kept Mm -hmm. air uh air conditioned and so being able to have something like that to step out of the hot shop uh out of the hot shop and into um, made such a big difference. And being, if I had to stay in that all day long, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bitch, but there's no way I could be doing. I couldn't. I can't work. Yeah, with that. It can't be. It can't be healthy. So obviously, make sure you're hydrated and so on. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Have a space where you can go just to cool down when it when you do feel sure. it. You know, at its worst. But um, oh. yeah, and not using a mister I think is a good move. But I think you could still get a spray bottle and just spray like water on your skin. Because the the energy required to make that um, water evaporate off of your body, I mean, and this is part of your body's natural cooling system, right? Is you sweat, hmm, sweat. So yeah. if you're spraying water yarn to your skin, um, it's kind of replicating what's already happening with the sweating. But having air circulating, either having a fan, even if it's blowing hot air, that fan blowing across that water or your sweat is drawing energy it or helping to dry that water off which pulls heat energy out of your body and helps cool you off effectively and that is why we sweat um so even just having a a spray bottle handy that you can spray yourself with um and some airflow of some sort either in your grinding room when you're you know cycling air out or just having a stand-up fan that you can step in front of actually my uh my buddy will brigham has a um He's a swamp cooler. They are a bit of an investment. They're like five, five to six hundred dollars uh, at the base, and that's only supposed to be for a quote unquote five hundred square foot space. Um, but uh, and and Will's shop is like a thousand square feet. But what he really does is he he has it in front of wherever he's working. So he's not necessarily trying to cool down the whole space. He's just trying to have cold air 
that can blow across him to help cool off during those hot days because he definitely gets some heat down there. And like, what, what you said, a swamp cooler. What is it? It's just a fan, is it? I assume. Yeah, it's like a giant air conditioning, but it's it's some. I don't know exactly how swamp coolers work, but basically, it's cycling water across the air and it's pulling air in uh, across mm. like these. Um, these the the this water screen and then it cycles it through and it cools it off before it then blows it and expels it back out basically like an air conditioner in a way Uh, i think an air conditioner i think the difference is an air conditioner pulls moisture out of the air and then and then does that process versus a swamp cooler um water is actively pushed through the machine um to help cool the air and then cycle it through the shop um but yeah the, while those are a like I said a big investment in that kind of heat, like it might be worth it because that mm. is gnarly. At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Yeah. J-Mod is uh, Jeff's buddy, by the way, who... uh, I think Jeff just got a skateboard from J-Mod, didn't he? He did, yes. Apparently so, yes. Yeah. But wow, yeah. Stay careful in that heat, Jesus! I'm I'm, I'm sweating just thinking of it. Jesus, yeah. fifty-four degrees Celsius—that's anyway. Thirsty work industries, which is a good name, mm. um, said, "Hi, fellas. Um, I've got a question. I've been hearing an increasing number of makers briefly mention their tapered tangs." After doing one of my own, I found out what a massive pain in the ass it was, uh, but I didn't notice any real benefits. Am I missing something? Or is it, or is it talking about your tapered tang, the name dropping of the knife world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I saw, I'm sort of with you. I'm sort of with you. I, um, you know, th- there's arguments for it. Well, well, first of all, aesthetically, I suppose it, show, it, shows, a, it shows a skill. Um, there's obviously a weight relief in there right. as well. Um, but I think if if it's weight relief, you could always sort of skeletonize that tang anyway and take the weight out that sure. way. Um, yeah, I think they they can look cool, but it's it's maybe a bit of a flex, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any benefit to it apart from looking, you know, aesthetically sure. cool. Yeah, I think I, I feel like I heard somebody talking about how it does lend a little bit more strength, especially in prying. Um, mm. Um, but I, I don't, I can't remember exactly the argument or the theory. Um, but I do think like you were saying, it is aesthetically, it is a nice look. Um, and it does help, uh, kind of reduce weight. Um, and that might be more, uh, necessarily, especially in large, heavy knives. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it is, it's more of an aesthetic, um, than, really necessary um yeah 
because obviously, you know, if you really wanted to lose weight in a knife, you would do a hidden tang basically. Right. And that would just get rid mm, of yeah. tons of material in the tang area. So, um, I think it's just a stylistic choice and I, th- I think, I don't think there's anything wrong. I mean, so many things in the knife making industry are a flex, right? Like even just forging oh, yeah. an integral, oh, yeah. like that's <laughs> yeah. a, that's 100% a flex, it, you know, <laughs> making the, making the knife out of Damascus or mosaic Damascus, even all of that's a flex and all of that isn't, mm. it's supposed to be like a, yeah, like a flex or a, a, a visual representation of a maker's particular level of skill or whatever, but yeah. It's yeah. not necessary. Let me give everybody a top tip. If you want to flex, um, you could always just buy in your your, Dam- your Damascus if it's stainless as well. It could be the best stuff out there, which is Dharma Steel. Um, if you go to dharmasteel.se, you'll see the patterns that they've got. Beautiful, beautiful patterns. Um, you, you sort of buy it by the inch. Um, really special stuff. Um, people use it to make jewellery, all sorts of lovely stuff. Uh, go take a look, dharmasteel.se. If you register... Um, you'll then get the price in if you use Knife Talk. You'll get 10% off that price in too. Um, and we're hoping to be working with them again very soon on their um, their Chef Invitational event, which they do. They do they do loads for the community, right. knife-making community. They're, they're great, great people. So hopefully we can work with them again to do that. But, um, yeah, go take a look at dharmasteel.se. And if you look at Dharma Steel Lab on Instagram, you'll see the kind of stuff that people are making with Dharma Steel. Super, super high-end stuff. Super flex, man. Yeah, you want to really flex? Get some Dharma Steel and forge an integral out of that. Wow, yeah. <laughs> this is a fucking yeah. nightmare. <laughs> High-level flex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually have some of their... What is it? They sent us that sand mine material, right? Um, I have... it. It's still in bar form, but my plan yep. is to cut it up and and forge, I think, three different knives out of that one bar. Just mm. as a kind of a, <laughs> a flex. Yeah. Just to do it, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. who else is doing this? That's right. Basically nobody. <laughs> exactly. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Um, Eben Blades um, sent a question. Again, via Instagram, um, question for you. I just got my first buyer for a knife, and they asked how much. Um, I'm super critical of my work and don't think it's good enough. Uh, so I told them an X amount, thinking they'd walk away. But they accepted. The bastard. I've just read the next line. Oh, boy. He says... Should I just pull a Craig and take their money <laughs> if they're that interested? Or am I hurting myself for low ball in a price um, because I'm super critical of my work? Hmm. Um, it's, it's so di- When you start out, it's so difficult pricing your work because realistically, if you priced it for the amount of time that you put in, you wouldn't get any customers as a, as a, as a new maker because right. you're still developing those skills and it takes so much time. So it's, it is such a, such a hard thing. Um, but if they've agreed to the price, pull a Craig, as you say, <laughs> and, um, and take their money. They've agreed to that price and they know what they're getting. They, they've, I assume they've seen your work or they've at least seen pictures of your work um, if they're agreeing to buy. Um, but that whole thing about being super critical of your work, that's, I think that's a, that's a good thing. Don't, sure. uh, don't get yourself down about that. Um, that's a good thing. And if people are, are willing to pay you money for your knives, um, yeah, it's, that, that's how we all started. That's how, that's how we all do it. We start making a few knives and people want to start buying them and that, no. that's how it works. So, so yeah, go for it. Um, so you say, am I hurting myself for a low ball in a price, uh, because I'm super critical, critical of my work. Um, I'm a, I mean, this is your, you say this is your first buyer. So this whole low balling thing, unfortunately you're going to be, because like I said, you, you know, you, you put a lot of time and effort into this. 
Um, and until you can make that work for you economically, you're always going to be lowballing on your, on your, your, you know, your first knives that you sell, unfortunately. Um, but if they're happy and, you know, and, and you're happy enough to, you know, move on, make the next knife, which is going to be better. And maybe next time the price can go up a little bit as well. Eventually you come to that point where you're making a profit with each knife. And that's, that's the name right. of the game. Yeah. I think uh, that's kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. You kind of have to start low. Um, and you just kind of, when you feel more confident about your skills, you kind of start pushing the price up. Maybe it's only $50 at a time or something like that or a hundred or whatever, but just kind of, you, you figure out eventually you get to a point where people, fewer people are interested in buying your work, uh, at the, a certain point price point and that's kind of where like that's your own what is that called it's a market research i guess <laughs> in a way um where you're kind of just testing what people will are willing to pay um but i yeah, do yeah. feel like a, a pretty sweet spot that especially when it comes to custom knives that there's a large number of people willing to spend money is between you know that 350 400 at the low end and like a thousand dollars at the mm. high end once you start getting outside of that, especially on the top end, you 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 drop down exponentially to how many people are willing to spend that kind of money. Um, yeah, and then and their expectations yes, will rise. One hundred. Well, yeah, and, <laughs> crazily too. Yeah, yeah, and people are you know they'll they're usually a bit more educated about what goes into a really high quality, high performance because usually, yeah, like you said, that's what they're looking for. Their expectations mm. are a lot higher, and so they're. The price point should reflect also kind of like, yeah, the quality of the manufacturing or the, you know, the maker skills and, and how well that thing actually performs. Um, because, you know, there are people out there who are trading on brand, but not necessarily making great tools. And mm. I don't know, for me, I, I couldn't do that. I, I was, but I'm, that's also like me struggling with i don't know if it's an artist mindset or something like that or i don't know whatever but you know there are people i mean if you can make the money then make the money but how long you're going to be able to do that and especially Mm, if people are feeling kind of um like they're being kind of screwed over they're paying good money good hard-earned money they expect something and then they're not getting that like that's not going to bode well over the long term um, yeah. So yeah. But hey, congratulations, Eben. Eben Blades. Yeah. You've got your first sale anyway. So you know, you're on your way. You're on <laughs> your way. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We got a question from uh, Austin Kara Chiolio. <laughs> Sorry, Austin. He said Kara first off, Chiolio. he starts off with yeah. a, sp- uh, a misspelling. He says, "Yo, balls." Um, like he's talking to our balls, um, but he, I think he's meant boys, but maybe he means balls. I don't know. Maybe he means balls. I think maybe Jeff has put a couple of these in the notes to trip us up. I maybe. got you. Motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he says, I have a fully outfitted shop in the industrial park here in South Jersey. Ooh. I know. Big one. <laughs> uh, my day job as an assistant superintendent of a private country club doesn't allow me. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to fully use it, l- utilize my shop this uh, this time of year. What are your opinions on renting a small space to a maker and allowing use of the larger equipment included? I own the uh, the two thousand square foot building. Ooh. 
<laughs> so any extra source of income is welcome. Cheers, y'all. Also, Austin says, if you, uh, if yes, what's the best way to find a competent renter that won't burn the joint down? I think, mm. Austin, that is the big question. Um, That's the big question, yeah. We, we've had a lot of this question from the other side of things where people are looking, they can't find a place for love nor money. Sure. They've been looking for a place. And a lot of it is down to when they speak to renters, they say, oh, the insurance, it'll be a nightmare, you know, having you in, you know, you're a knife maker or whatever you are, you know, it, it'd be difficult for me. But it's interesting that you're coming from the other side, you've got the space. Um, so yeah, you need to, you need to find out the insurance, I suppose, really, and see how, um, and then, you know, cost things out and see whether it's it's feasible for anybody to use that space. Yep. I mean, I think that is definitely the way to do it. If your insurance yeah. will cover it, then, uh, and then, you know, obviously accumulating everything again would be a huge pain in the ass. And so taking that also into consideration, um, I mean, maybe it's be you're better off just leaving it empty. But I will say that if it wasn't for somebody being willing to open their shop out, uh, to me, I would not have gotten mm -hmm. started. Uh, I didn't have any tools, equipment, or extra money. I was pseudo homeless when I first started knife making on my mm -hmm. own. Uh, eight year, nine years ago now. Uh, I was surfing couches. I just moved back from Denver. I didn't have a very solid situation of any kind, and um, but I knew I wanted to get back into knife making, and um, and so I I got a hold of a knife maker that I knew uh, who had excess space. So he had a, a, his full, his own full blacksmithing and knife working shop. And then next door in this industrial building, he had an extra shop that was a school and, mm. but the school sat empty for most of the month, except for a couple, like two or three day classes that he might run throughout the, the month. But otherwise it sat empty. And that was an opportunity for me. I saw it as an opportunity for me to, um, to make use of those tools and, and kind of basically get, uh, my, get my start kind of like an incubator actually kind of in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And was he on site there as well he in his was. shop next door? Yes. 100%. Right, okay. So yeah. I was only in there when he was able to be in there at the same time. And so if there mm. were any struggles or any issues, um, I was able to, he was able to jump right over and, and help with anything I might be having a hard time with. Fortunately, nothing happened. Um, ever. Um, I think the only time something actually like the fire system got kicked off. Um, I, I wasn't even <laughs> doing the work. Somebody was doing some, somebody else was doing some torch work, uh, on that mm. school side and they pointed the torch up straight at one of the fire sprinklers and it kicked oh. off the, and it <laughs> wow. was like, it's like a 12,000 square foot building and, oh, and with a massive <laughs> and they fire all went off. Yeah. And it, and, I mean, most of the stuff in that specific area went off. The whole building didn't go off, but even that alone, mm -hmm. it cost like $20,000 or something to get things oh. reset and to pay for the fire department showing up and all that shit. Um, but that is stuff that do could you, potentially Do you do that happen. in the U.S.? Do you, do you, when the fire service are called out, do you, do you need to pay for that service? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Austin, yes. Um, <laughs> if you're getting people in, they need to be obviously experienced because if you're not going to be there and they're using your equipment, there's you know first of all it's dangerous, um, you know t you know physically dangerous to yeah. them, but obviously the harm that they could do to your equipment in the building as well. <laughs> yeah, trusting somebody else in your shop, um, yeah, that's seen that would 
be very uh, difficult for me to accomplish. Um, mm. I think I, I, even when I was working for Bob Kramer, it was probably like two years or a year and a half before um, I he would he felt comfortable with me being in the shop working by myself while he was you know out you know going to Blade Show and stuff like that, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So it's it t- definitely takes time to earn that trust, but that means you got to be there, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of renting it out, right? Yeah, uh, so. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't know. Maybe if uh, Austin, uh, we don't know where you're from. Um, it sounds like an Italian name, doesn't it? Caruccioli or something. I, d- I don't know. But um, if anybody knows Austin, he's got some space. Maybe you could work something maybe. out. Okay. Um, Crow's Skull Forge. Um, I like this one. What is your guy's guilty pleasure about knife making? Uh, he says, with me, it's the smell of a new batch of grinding belts. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not the nicest smell, but uh, whatever turns you on. Um, guilty pleasure. I, I don't suppose it's a guilty... I mean, I don't think anything is a guilty pleasure. If you take pleasure in it, good for you. Um, but I personally, I like... Because I, I do full-tang blades, and when you um, you put your handles on and you put your pins through and stuff like that, and you obviously let it draw dry off, that stroke with the um, with the with the grinder, when you reveal the tang again... And you see that lovely defined line mm. with you've got some liners sure. and you've got your handle material. That for me is really is a big sort of payoff. I think of all the work you think. Oh, you can you can see how this is going to look properly now. Um, for me, that's always like a massive pleasure. That bit it's a big yeah, it's a big payoff for everything sure. that you do. I mean, I think a guilty pleasure is is something you take pleasure in, but you aren't necessarily excited to admit to anybody about right yeah like dirty little secret <laughs> dirty little that's what secret. it is what's your yeah. dirty little secret that you love about <laughs> knife making oh boy i'm trying to think um i can't i can't think of anything off the top of my head the only thing i could potentially think of is like there are a lot of makers who love to just wait until the very end to etch a knife especially if they made it out of damascus to see what things look mm. like um, but I never wait. I, that's something I can never wait for. <laughs> it's like waiting yeah. for Christmas kind of presents. <laughs> when so you're you etch multiple times through the process. Don't for you? sure. Constantly. Because yeah. also the pattern yeah. sometimes changes throughout the, the, the making process from the forging mm-hmm. to the primary grinding to the finished grinding. And, and even the, after hand sanding, some if there are some things that can change still. And so I'm constantly etching and looking at it. Uh, to see what things are looking like. Because, again, uh, I, especially when I was doing full custom stuff, the pattern was a specifically requested thing. And uh, if it wasn't mm. looking right, then I needed to um, start, stop and start over or set it, you know, put that customer's order aside and finish out this this project and, and then before going back and starting over on theirs and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of more out of necessity that I was constantly, but I even still now when things aren't, you know, necessary, uh, I can just make kind of whatever I want. I still mm. relish that first look at the Damascus pattern, especially after it was forged in, in, into a blade shape. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nice. Um, why don't you tell everybody about your grinder? I'm sure that gives you lots of pleasure. I love my Broadbeck <laughs> grinder. It's a great grinder. It is basically the Swiss Army knife of the knife making uh, 
industry. Uh, it, it's so handy and it's, you know, six or seven machines in one really, uh, from a surface grinder to a buffing machine, to a disc grinder, to a, you know, the, the slack platen, hard platen, all the different shit in between small wheel attachment, slack belt. It's got so much going on for it. And they've, they, they uh, if you go to broadbackironworks.com at checkout, if you put in knife talk in, you will get a automatically updated or upgraded to the Morocco platen, which is uh, the deep throated platen that allows for a lot of room and and movement of your handle or your blade when you're doing, uh, especially when you're doing your handle sculpting. Uh, I, it's a project that Broadback and I work together on to uh, create greater ease of movement and flexibility and just being able to work symmetrically uh, around a platen. And uh, it came out great, and I've heard nothing but positive feedback from folks. Um, but yeah, it is a it's a really handy and super versatile machine. Um, it's even light enough. Like I I've been doing the knife sharpening recently that I I, t I haul it around with me. But I do know that they have a new sharpening system, uh, yes. which I need to yeah. uh, maybe talk to them about because hauling that <laughs> grinder around isn't light. You know, it's mm. you know it's probably like sixty pounds or something like that. Um, so they also offer you know they got the sharpening machine. They also have uh, they sell what is it the leather sewing machines right um, yeah so if you're making sheaths out there they got the i think it's the cowboy machine or something it's right. called isn't it yeah yeah so broadback they're trying to take care of us as knife makers and and even if you already have your own uh chassis and and setup um you can still use their uh tool arms their tool arms are designed to be used cross-platform which is really handy and flexible and they make some really really great tool arms especially that marco yeah, i mean <laughs> yeah. they're knife makers themselves they, they know what they know what we Absolutely. need they're, they're, they're good guys good guys okay um paul jansen um i guess you could call this unsolicited advice uh but it's more of a a total stranger asking for a favor um he said craig talked about trying not to waste food and jeff has a video of cooking the oysters and it got me thinking about the disconnect and disrespect most consumers have with the food they eat um, he's a sixth-generation farmer, and talking to the public makes him cringe when he hear they actually believe food comes from the store and not a farm. Jesus. He says, you all work with the culinary industry and have a better understanding than most about where food actually comes from and have a much bigger following than I do. Um, but using that platform to remind people not to waste food and encouraging people to understand where food actually comes from would go a long way in helping bridge the gap. Most people don't realize that everything we eat was once alive and it made made a sacrifice so that we can live. Um, don't need all the, the Peter bullshit with that, uh, but I'm not wasting the food. That is a good way to show respect for plants and animals um, that we eat. He said, that's my two cents for whatever they're worth. I'll have to try the oyster recipe if I can ever find fresh oysters in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> Yeah, that has got to be. I mean, he says he's a sixth generation far, sixth generation farmer. That has got to be such a such a thing, you know. Hearing people, you know, well, well, wasting food and just talking about food as this sort of commodity and, and all sure. the rest of it, you know. When you know he sees the amount of work that goes into putting you know food on a plate. Yeah, a lot of respect for farmers and that's those sort of industries. Yeah, man, it's hard work, um, hmm. and it does. It shocks me too, like how little people understand about where the food actually comes from. I think something that mm. has really helped me to have a greater appreciation um, has been learning how to fish and farm for my own, or not farm, but forage mm. for my own food. Um, 
So taking my kid out and walking, like hiking through the woods for a couple hours just to find a couple pounds of mushrooms or something like that, right? Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. That little nuggets that is gold, it's treasure, right? Yeah. And, or, or driving out to the beach um, and you know digging up my own razor clams and spending a couple hours doing that just for you know um, one meal's worth <laughs> of razor clams, you know. Hmm. It, it's but the the way I feel about that food is completely different than from some than something from the store, and I, and I yeah. do think that because of us, you know, you mean uh, and Jeff, with our appreciation and understanding of preparation of food and our love for cooking food, we do have a a better understanding of where it's coming from, and that and I think that's part of the reason that we we make the culinary knives that we do make is because mm. they are an extension of one of our hobbies and our passions um, is to, you know, take care of the ones we care, we love by creating delicious food for them to eat and enjoy and share yeah. together. Yeah. So Paul, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely. I mean that. Um, do you want to take the next one from Jay Daler? Yeah. Daler? Jay Daler. He says, uh, any tips for hand sanding blocks? Uh, of course the best is, is to use rhino wet, but should they be backed with leather or rubber or left flat, made of wood, G10 or metal, handles or no handles? So he's got he's got questions about hand sanding blocks or hand sanding sticks, um, mm. and what to use and how to use them. I use um, basically uh, G10 cutoffs. Um, so I'll use I'll get like a six mil or a quarter inch um, slabs of G10 and cut in, in, in strips. And I just use that. Um, yeah, it, I've always got lots in the shop. Always works well. Um, what I tend to find there is when I get to the sort of the lower grits and I'm doing sort of final final polishing almost, um, I've got a couple where I've just put some leather strips on. Nice. Um, and that just softens it slightly and takes away any of those. Sort of, you know, sometimes you get those hard grit lines. You might get one or two, sure. you know, and they take a long time to come out. So you just sort of feather them out right. then with using using the leather. Um, but I don't think it makes too much of a difference um, what material you're using. As long as it's it's flat, it should, it should do the job. I know I know a lot of people use sort of aluminium blocks. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I think as long as it's flat, you should be good. Yeah, I like using um, – so I I have a flat hand sanding stick, but I almost never use it or I hardly mm. use it. If if I use it for anything, it is just for the, uh, the, the bolster transition from the integral bolster down into the blade or on facets around or flat areas around the bolster. Um, and I guess also along the spine and at the back, at the at the heel or, the, or at the choil of the knife. But otherwise, when I'm hand sanding and doing the bulk of the hand sanding of my blade, I actually use um, a curved hand sanding stick. And part of that is because I, I almost all my knives these days have an S-grind. So they have a hollow in the blade that I'm trying to get inside of and sand out. But... The, the the curvature of my hand sanding stick is actually tighter than the hollow that I'm trying to hand sand. Um, and that is so that I'm actually, what is it? My, my, my hand sanding, the surface that I'm actually sanding with is about seven eighths of an inch wide by three inches long. And so I have mm, a yeah. bunch of little strips of sandpaper. I take my rhino wet and a paper, like an old school paper cutter, and I just chop it all down to fit that yeah. size. Um, but that way, when I'm hand sanding, I can focus that force. Instead of foc focusing the hand sanding force across the entire face, 
um, of that three inches wide sandpaper, it's only actually maybe three quarters of an inch or an inch that's actually engaged with yeah. the blade at a time. And that way I can also kind of either do localized sanding in just one little spot rather than having to hit the whole thing. Or, But I also get to... It, it helps focus that force um, so that um, I feel like I'm getting kind of like more work done, honestly, um, and more and can handstand more aggressively than I could if it actually fit that exact curvature. Um, my handstanding sticks are just made out of scrap two by four uh, or hickory that I've had laying around and <clears throat> uh, and I usually like the back, at least my hard, my quote unquote hard a hand sanding stick um, with uh, like a rubber, a dense rubber gasket. Um, you can find them at hardware stores. They're usually like in the plumbing section. You can get like a six inch by six inch uh, gasket of rubber that you can, that I think you're designed that are designed for you to like custom cut out or whatever. You could probably also get them from uh, like a automotive a shop too. Um, hmm. And then, but it depends on the stick. So both the the flat stick and the hollow sand, hand sanding stick have that rubber gasket, but the uh, my I do the same thing as Craig actually, who was just saying he uh, when you go to the finish strokes, um, I have a, a, a secondary uh, curved hand sanding stick that has leather on it, so that it does help just kind of soften and um, those hand sanding pulls those strokes so that instead of really shoving the abrasive into the surface, it's more passively abrading the surface and helps you get more of a satin aesthetic, um, on the yeah. blade. Um, yeah, it sort of mellows things out for a bit, sure. It? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I've also actually been finding, especially when I'm preparing for de- etching Damascus, whether it's in ferric or in coffee, um, Finishing with those finishing strokes uh, on the, with a leather-backed sandpaper actually open up the surface so that it etches more cleanly and readily um, than than if I had a hard backing. I've found that when the abrasive, as it breaks down, uh, instead of actually cutting, it's more kind of smearing the surface, which is called burnishing. And when I go into either the ferric or my coffee or whatever after that, I get all like all kinds of weird shit starts happening to the steel. Um, especially on the 15 and 20, um, and where the 15 and 20 like starts to pick up color. But I find that if I use that softer backing with the leather and I pull like 800 grit or 600 grit strokes, uh, that opens up the surface in a way that it helps it etch more effectively. And, and it actually, it seems counterintuitive, but the 15 and 20 stays clean better by mm. having a more open surface rather than a polished or smudged or burnished surface. Um, and I get better etching results that way. There we go. So remember, kids, the f- leather for those final strokes. Yeah. But anyway, you're using RhinoWet. So, yeah, hats off to you. And if you're not using RhinoWet, why the hell aren't you using RhinoWet? If you're doing any sort of hand sanding, which I'm sure most of us are, um, it's, the, it's the right stuff to use. Um, it just, yeah, it just lasts a lot longer. It saves you money. It's the best stuff. You can get it from Texas Forest Supply, which is TexasForestSupply.com, and as well as RhinoWet. Obviously, they have everything else that you need as a either a farrier, a blacksmith, or a knife maker. Whatever you are, they've got it all. Go take a look, TexasForestSupply.com. Fill up your basket with RhinoWet and take a look at the other stuff they've got. If you use Knife Talk 10 at checkout, you'll get 10% off your order too. So why wouldn't you, eh? 
Okay, let's do a few more questions, shall we? Where are we? Do, 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 do. Um, Quantum Ironworks. Hi, fellas. Thank you for all your... (laughs) It is. It's Yeah, we've had a couple of long ones here. I think normally Jeff, he sort of edits edits these down a bit, but... um, He's excited to go and get some food in Barcelona, so he's, he's just dumped everything in as, as is, so bear with us. Hi, fellas. Thank you for all your valuable information you provide on your podcast. I've been making knives for a little under a year now as a part-time hobby. Being a husband and a father of two to a three- and a five-year-old and a full-time engineer, I have very limited time I can put towards this. Um, so far, I've been able to complete three knives. I post all my progress and finished work on Instagram where a lot of friends, family, and co-workers follow me which has brought a lot of interest in buying a knife from me. So my question is, how do I handle these inquiries when my volume is so small? Lately, I just tell them to wait for the next build, but now I'm at the point where five different people want the next knife. How can I make it fair to everyone, um, but I don't want to risk losing them as a potential customer? I'm very serious about um, taking Mareko's advice and not accepting custom orders or deposits. I just want to build what I want uh, when I want them and offer it up for sale. Thanks for your advice, Paul. Uh, thanks for your advice, Paul. Sorry. <laughs> thanks for your advice, Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's already thinking, not falling into that trap of just taking loads of future orders and then just having to, you know, work his way through them, which, you know, which can be really difficult. So, you know, hats off for that already. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the obvious one is just make them and then post them when they're made and say, this one's available. And it, you know, a first come, first serve basis. Um, but, you know, if, Personally, what I'd say is a newsletter is the great way to do it because um, if you get everybody's email addresses, they all get the email at the same time. These are available. Um, but like you said, a lot of these are sort of family members and friends and that, and they may not be, you know, may not, you know, join a newsletter, but, you know, they may be good buddies and you still want to help them out. So it's, so it's a bit more difficult that way. Um, but, you know, it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? You've got too many people asking for your work. Sure. It's a nice problem to have. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I'd say if they if they're all liking them on, well, like you say, on Instagram, which is what you're using, um, just you know, don't mention the knife until you finished it. Put it up and say now it's available. Um, you know, on a, on a first come first serve basis. I think that's the, the sort of fairest way you could do it. I suppose. Yeah, I, I've really admired. I've, I've mentioned the uh, Bloodroot Blades uh, guys, Luke and David, uh, down in Atla- or outside of Atlanta. They're in Georgia mm-hmm. and. They're culinary knife makers, their team, and I really admire their model with their newsletter. Um, it's a little, it's just slightly more involved. And I think, um, you know, with, you know, if there are five people who are interested in one knife, then it's maybe not as horribly involved, but they have, you know, thousands of people, you know, scraping after their work, trying to get whatever they mm-hmm. can. And the thing that they've found uh, is the most kind of equitable way to approach it is to um, is to do the newsletter they do a whole they do a drop so whatever they built over the previous month they add to the newsletter they got photos they have you know the the, the information about this about the blades and then um, they invite people to and and there are forms that you can like set up that help make things a little bit easier through, you know, websites and stuff like that. And, and Craig probably has better input on what kind of, uh, 
like online forms people can fill out um but get Mm. the information to you and basically uh like for a specific knife if you're interested in it then basically you have a a a window of i think david told me last they do like 18 hour window to say i'm interested in this knife and then you go through and if it's three or four knives you basically just do a drawing and that's that one it gives people an opportunity um as you continue to grow people ideally your the interest in your work spreads around the world and it gives people around the world an opportunity to jump in at whatever in their local time and say i am yes i am interested in this knife and by creating a small window you know you you create creative like a uh a sense of uh um god i can't think of the word but you, you know you got to make it happen you got to make that call now hmm. like urgency, urgency yeah. sense of urgency and um and because you're putting that little extra effort in by, you know, doing the newsletter and letting the people signed up to the newsletter know about it first and then also letting them have a fair hack at it and then, you know, by doing a random drawing and submitting and all that kind of stuff, it kind of actually builds trust and a sense of transparency and and belief in you as a person who's trying to make things as equal as possible. And if they don't get it, they're, I feel like, honestly what's great about it is because it is as equitable as you can possibly make it, it just makes them that much more excited for the next time knives come out, um, to try to get a hold of one. Um, because Mm. that's, that's about as fair as you can make it. That takes things a bit further than the normal newsletter as well, because not only are you putting the newsletter out first, you've got everybody's email address you've already captured. Um, but you're seeing who's interested on that list as sure. well. So you've almost got like a super list then as right. well. And if you are using newsletters, you can you can segregate all these things into lists. So, you know, super users and all the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, you're getting that extra feedback, not just sending that. It's a really, really smart move, I yeah. think. It's really cool. You know, th- this this brings me to another question I can see further down here from Goot Knives, G-O-O-T Knives. Um, and they say, is it better to start selling on Etsy as a new knife maker and deal with the extra associated costs or just use your own website e-commerce solution uh, with newsletters? Um, and I'd say, yeah, I'd say maybe keep away from Etsy simply because, I mean, there's some great stuff on there, but it, it generally needs to be more sort of crafty stuff. Yeah. Um, and if you want to show your, your stuff in a sort of more professional light, I suppose, um, you don't need to be a web designer, web developer. I mean, uh, but I, uh, I, was, I was a web developer for years, but I now use Squarespace just because it's super quick and easy, and it's cheap. Um, and I've got no affiliation with them at all, but I know Jeff uses Square. I think you use, you're using Squarespace as well. I'm now, using I mean, Shopify. Right Shopify, okay, yeah. I mean, it's right there with it. Similar yeah. things, a very similar thing. And, I mean, for a, a very small monthly fee, um, you know, you can have a beautiful site. You don't need to be a great designer. You get some good photos. Um, everything's drag and drop, and you're away. And you've got complete control. But um, with both Shopify and Squarespace, um, you will have like a newsletter option. So you know, first of all, when somebody buys a product from you, it'll automatically capture that email address and put it into a list for you. Um, but also, you can put up a form there, so you can say, you know, if you're interested in my knives, you know, just drop your email address here. That then goes into into your into your lists as well. So you, you can then design a newsletter uh, and send it out to everybody on, on these lists. And um, honestly, newsletters are definitely the way to go um, because you know these people are interested. Right. They're sort of hot leads, if yep. you like. Um, and you know you can make them as personal as you like. 
um, it's yeah, it's great. You, you know, you're not asking people to come to your site. You're 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 landing directly into their inbox, and you know, and you can have links then off to the site if they're interested. And these are all trackable, so you can see you know who's clicked the link to go to your website, sure. so you know they're of a certain interest. Um, yeah, you know who's put stuff in a cart. Maybe if you've got analytics on your site as well, so you know they're of a certain interest. Everything is quite trackable. So yeah, a newsletter is is definitely the way to go. And and with regards to whether you use an Etsy or use your own website with an e-commerce solution, it sounds more fancy than than it is having your own website with an e-commerce solution. It sounds really fancy. It's not. You just go to Shopify or Squarespace or there's a million others. You pay fifteen to twenty five dollars a month. Um, dragging your photos and you're away it really is that simple you need to do like a workshop <laughs> do a zoom workshop and just set yeah one up. Uh, yeah maybe, no, maybe no, no. yeah <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah well yeah you know i did talk because um in a previous life when i had like uh, like this this commercial workspace that other people would use um squarespace actually uh sponsored one of our meeting rooms there um, so I've, sp- I've spoken to them recently about um, having some sort of promo code where people can go to Squarespace, use the promo code, get a certain amount off per month, um, and I'd get a bit of a kickback as yeah. well. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to do that soon as well. So that would be cool. God, but, um, I can see that killing on YouTube, honestly, um, like yeah, as a maker. Because there are so many uh, makers of all kinds of stuff, not just knives, but woodwork. Oh, there they are. Oh, jeez, yeah. The baby crying and the dog is now... <laughs> shouting he'll stop in a minute just a sec um but i could see that really being uh, a great a really incredible resource for people uh to do one of kind of like those screen captures or screen recordings of going through and actually setting up your you know your square pit space from you know just selecting a you know and I, i'm sure they have um you know some of those kind of tutorials even even through the platforms mm. themselves um but i think i don't yeah, know yeah i'm sure they all do yeah i yeah. don't know i feel like so many but people yeah. still struggle with it like there's room yeah i think if you can yeah. set up an instagram yeah. account and put up your profile pictures and add pictures to that you can set up a you know a squarespace site yeah. or, or shopify site um because they got templates you just pick the template that you like you fill in the pictures um, and with regards to the e-commerce part, you literally just give me your PayPal details or your bank details, and it'll sort everything out for you. You, you know, there's, and, w- and what's great about that as well, you'll have a, a sort of a back end, what they call like a CRM system. Then, so all your customers' details will always be there, so you can always go online and you know log into your admin panel and see your customers and you know their addresses if you need to go back to them. It's all it's all stored there for you. You know, if 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 you're not doing it, I I don't know what i do you know if you if you're using a system that doesn't have all these capabilities you know where have you got all your customer details where have you got you know it'd be it'd be a nightmare so yeah it's 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 a cheap cost per month and then you you know then you can you're you're selling internationally too you know that's the way yeah and i think uh, i struggled when i first started to understand the value of collecting that information and it's not to be schmarmy or anything like these people are specifically reaching out to you and saying i'm interested in buying your stuff and mm, and yeah. so it's key, and and it finally clicked that that's what that was collecting that data that those emails and that information is because these are people who are specifically saying exactly that i want to give you my money for the thing you're making and yeah. it's just a a much better way of keeping track of them rather than like i don't i I wasn't you know doing anything before to collect anything i was just doing things through instagram and and so it was always kind of 
guesswork, kind of shooting in the dark. But when you have that curated list, basically, of people who are specifically interested, so, so you're not shooting into the dark. You're shooting into a pool of people who definitely are interested in your work rather than just putting it out there to the world and crossing your fingers, right? Yeah, and and that's the thing, especially with Instagram, which most of us use. I, I rarely use these sure. days because the newsletters have become such so more powerful for yeah. me. But with with Instagram, let, let's say you put something out, and you know you, you'll see particularly your video where you'll see how many views you get. You'd be lucky if you get five percent of your followers actually seeing a video. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a newsletter you send out, you'll see the stats of how many have opened, how many have clicked right. a link, and it's you know it's quite normal to have over fifty percent open in the email. Right. And then you've got a percentage of them who will click the links. Right. You know, it's 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 a night and day difference. So yeah, if you just start in, um, like um, who was it? Quantum Quantum Ironworks was saying there. Um, get a newsletters together. You know, as soon as you can, as soon as you can. It, it's it's yeah. It, for relatively no cost, right. it'll pay for. Well, itself. when you get the website set up, I mean, you can even set up widgets so that like on your landing page people are seeing your most recent instagram posts and shit like that but exactly after yeah, that yeah. once you got the website set up it's mostly just managing the inventory right mm. yeah get a new product take a few pictures put it on that and and you know it'll oh, this could be a whole show yeah. in itself i suppose <laughs> couldn't it but you know once that you get you can say i've got a quantity of one and once that is sold it'll automatically take it off the yep. website so you're not getting into this situation where you know we've got five people ordering that one knife and you are oh, only got one yeah. it, you know you, you can you can handle all of that it's yeah the, yeah this could be this could be another show but in simple terms yes use something like spotify squarespace um use the newsletter facilities which they both have um They'll, they'll, yeah, and reap the benefits. Don't use Spotify, by the way. Use Shopify or Squarespace. <laughs> so, I'm always getting the yes. Sorry. Yes, yes. Shopify, not Spotify. Yeah. All right. Yeah, there we go. I think we did it. Do we have something else we want to talk about or another advertiser to hit? Um, we don't. We've, we've done them all. We've done them all. Um, it would be a good time to call it a day because I can get up and get to those babies yeah. quickly and help. What, you don't want to leave the crying <laughs> <Yeah>. babies? <laughs> Unfortunately not. No, I, tell just... you what we, I tell you what we need to do. We always need to do an after show. Welcome to ah, the after show. Okay. Wow. What have you been watching this week, Morocco? What have I been? Oh, I have been. What have we been watching? We've been watching the new Umbrella Academy series uh, uh, season, uh, which actually has not been very good. Um, but we're oh, like right. more than halfway <laughs> through it. So, um, you know, we're just biting the bullet and just finishing it out. Um, that's the worst, <laughs> isn't it? When something's not good and you're like, it's got to yeah. get better and you invest your well, time. The first two seasons were fun and, and interesting and it was all very new. And this last season has not been very good. Um, oh, I finished well, uh, up the, we finished up the boys, uh, which was, it's a, mm. I, I think you said you hadn't seen it yet, right? I hadn't seen any. It no, is no. It is a gnarly show, but it's good, and it's. Int- I'm intrigued with the end of the season, the third season, and wondering where they're going to go. Um, and then I don't know movie. I, I just watched Up for the first time with my kid yesterday. It's great, it's, isn't it? It's, it's, that first scene is it's heart wrenching, <laughs> but it it is <laughs> yeah. super sweet. Oh yeah, and, uh, and yeah. I think the kid liked it, and uh, yeah, it was fun. I'm glad we watched it. Yeah. Yeah, if if anybody hasn't seen Up <laughs> yeah, and you're some gnarly knife maker with a big old beard, just watch those first three minutes. And if that yeah, doesn't break you, you've got no soul. You are the, <laughs> no such soul. a soulish black 
guitar piece of shit. <laughs> um, yeah, that first ten minutes is rough. What have I been watching? Good. Yeah, what have you been um, watching? Blackbird on Apple TV. Um, it's been on for a few weeks okay. now. So, what's what's really annoying with Apple TV is that they'll put the first two or three episodes up ah, to get you hooked in. Right. Then after that, it's every Friday right. they put the next one. Once you got to wait a week. And uh, I don't understand days, why they're you know? dulling it out like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird one. I'm, I'm sure they've got stats to prove it works or whatever. I but, guess, um, but has but anyway, Netflix proved that just dropping it is great? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably, know. yeah, yeah. But uh, Blackbird is great. It's, um, it's you know, like a prison thing okay. where, you know, s- some dude is in prison and he's been told that if he, if he can get a confession out of his cellmate, um, they'll let him free. And it's, 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 really, it's really well acted, actually. Mm. It's really good. So, yeah, if you're looking for something, anybody, Blackbird is good. On that note, <clears throat> I think it's time to call okay. it a night. Thank chatting, you very Greg. much for listening. Yes, it was. Jeff, I hope you I hope you're I hope the plane's still in the air, hasn't gone down. I'll I'll give you a call in a few days' time just to make sure. I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure you're fine. Thank you all for listening, and we shall speak to you all again next week, where it'll be all three of us back in the room again. Bye for now. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.